Happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome in. Coming to you live from the capital city of the great state of Texas, overlooking downtown Austin and the University of Texas. Welcome to the bi-weekly broadcast and multicast that understands the pride and tradition of the Texas football program. We'll never be entrusted to the timid or the weak. It's the Eyes on Texas multicast. Welcome back for another edition. Uh, we are a product of the Republic of Football and the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Podcast Network. We're powered by our partners at Grande Equipment and our other founding partners, and we are ready to roll. The Longhorns are sitting at number seven in the country. They're nine and one in the Big 12. They're nine and one overall, six and one in the Big 12, sitting atop the standings after another. How did that game get so close win over TCU 29-26 on Saturday? Mike Craven, my co-host, was there uh, at Fort Worth to watch the entire contest and proceedings, and we're going to talk about it. We'll also talk about the injury to Jonathan Brooks. We'll talk about the Longhorns, where they stand in the Big 12 and Big Picture, and talk about the uh, coaching carousel that is fired up around college football with what happened with Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, maybe Arkansas looking at Sam Pittman, Mississippi State making changes. So a lot to dive into. Should be a jam-packed episode. We appreciate you being there. Uh, I am Aaron Hogan, the morning show host at The Horn here in Austin, Texas, flagship, formerly the flagship of UT Sports, but now uh, just doing the morning show for 25 years. He is the senior writer at Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine, Mike Craven. You're on the multicast. It keeps you on top of all things Texas football. Called a multicast because it's available to watch weekly on the Dave Campbell's Texas Football YouTube channel, the Horn FM in Austin's YouTube channel, and live on uh, the Spotify and iTunes platforms as well, where you listen to and watch podcasts. He is our digital producer, Nolan Hogan, with his hair looking fully flowy and lettucey. How are you, my friends? Good to see y'all. Doing good, doing good. Week 11 in the rearview mirror onto week 12. And as you mentioned, a lot of coaching stuff going on across the state. So uh, busy time. Busy time. We're talking about you, Mike. You had a busy Sunday. I thought about you. No, I shouldn't say this out loud. I thought about you as I woke up Sunday morning, glanced at my phone and kind of looked at the uh, the Twitters and all the things happening. The Jimbo Fisher story was breaking. I was thinking, damn, Mike's got to get up and write stories for Dave Campbell's Texas football and you put in about a 13, 14 hour day yesterday on top of a game, uh, you know, Thursday night and the game Saturday and uh, all that. It's what you do. I mean, you wouldn't have it any other way, but you had a busy weekend, safe to say. I would have had it a different way, honestly. I was about to watch the Liverpool game in my hotel before I drove, drove back to Austin. And all of a sudden, Jimbo Fisher was getting fired at Texas A&M. Uh, wrote three stories from the hotel room was driving back home to Austin when it was announced they were going to have a press conference at five. So I uh, came back to the house, dropped some stuff off, changed my clothes, took a shower, and then drove to College Station, recorded a podcast. It was a long Sunday. It was definitely a long Sunday. Uh, but that's what happens when uh, a dude that's owed $76 million uh, gets fired about 8 a.m. On, on on the Sunday. So uh, it was interesting. It was a crazy time. But coaching search season uh, is, a, is a lot of fun because it gets it gets hectic. It does. Uh, coaching search season and, uh, you know, 78 million bucks for Jimbo. We'll talk about that, where they're going. And it's safe to say the Longhorn success, even though frustrating for a lot of Longhorn fans, it's amazing. We haven't been here in, you know, 14, 15 years, Mike, where the Longhorns are playing in the top 10 in the country, sitting at the top of the conference and playing for big things. But Longhorn fans are still frustrated by the ebb and flow of these games. We'll talk about that. But, you know, there's no doubt that the Longhorn success moving to the SEC next year had an impact on the decision the Aggies made yesterday. Is there any doubt about that? Oh, no doubt. You know, it, it ramps up the pressure a little bit. That 2024 game is huge and, and they're back in the same conference again. And 
Now, I'm going to write a story about this, but I went back and I looked at all the 10 win seasons both teams have had. And Texas is about to have another one, uh, barring something crazy here. They've only had 10 win. They've only won 10 games each at the same in the same season one time. And that was back in 1975 or 1976. So historically, when one team is really good, the other team is average to below average uh, and vice versa. Texas A&M had a 12, 13 year start here uh, in the SEC with Texas down and kind of squandered it. And and the Longhorns are on their way back up. And as you mentioned, they're on their way back into the same conference. And I think that absolutely raised the temperature and the pressure level uh, inside the donor base. And and obviously cost Jimbo Fisher his job because they don't feel like they are pacing with the Longhorns anymore. Yeah. And uh, losing momentum on the recruiting trail and the, uh, you know, uh, Ross Bjork said it yesterday, the AD or on Monday, I should, or Sunday, I should say at Texas A&M, uh, the program's in neutral. It's stalled. It's not moving. And Texas seems to be moving, uh, as frustrating as some of these games are, uh, on the recruiting trail within the national appearance. Uh, they're getting the headlines, and Texas A&M is an afterthought. And Ross Bjork did say it happened after the Ole Miss loss that he made that call at a Board of Regents meeting last Thursday, which led to what we heard on Sunday. Because a lot of people talked I heard this week about they beat Mississippi State 41 to or 51 to 14. That didn't matter. I mean, it, the decision was made Thursday and they were, they had raised the money. So we'll talk about that. Michael gave you the deep dive research and thoughts on that, of how it all played out, what's coming next, because it does impact Texas as of next year when they move into the SEC and have to face the Longhorns. And I think a lot of our eyes on Texas multicast viewers will be thinking, who do I want them to hire and who should they hire, right? Because you want them to get it wrong. If you're a Longhorn fan, you want them to get this dead wrong and hire another dud uh, because Steve Sarkeesian seems to be the right coach. And we'll talk about that moving forward. If you know our multicast, hopefully you do by now, share it with friends. Uh, We're divided into four quarters and a halftime. First quarter, we'll review the TCU game here coming up, 29-26 Texas, a 26-6 lead. In the second half, became a a nail-biter once again. Third time in four weeks that has happened for the Longhorns. In our second quarter, we'll talk about the Jonathan Brooks injury, uh, Quinn Ewers' health, and uh, where the Longhorns go at running back from here. Uh, in our third quarter, we'll talk about the uh, the Iowa State game and the Big 12 race. It's still jumbled. Texas is alone atop the conference, but there are you know four other teams sitting at two losses and a lot to talk about there. The national picture as well. And in our fourth quarter, to wrap up tonight's episode, we will talk about what we were just talking about, Jimbo Fisher, the coaching carousel, the national scene, because you know this, Michael, once one domino falls, they start to go fast, right? Uh, it's just the way it goes. Who's going to go first? And, you know, with the early signing period in recruiting now and early in December the 20th, it just speeds everything up. You got to go faster because everybody's asking why now before we get to our first quarter and tell you about our friends at Grande Equipment, tell our audience why now? Why is now the right time for Texas A&M not at the end of the season? Well, you want to be the first one in the pool. You know, you don't want the the guy that you're potentially going after to to already be hired or already be very far down the road to be hired at, at the next job. Uh, I think you're right on point. The number one reason is recruiting and roster management. You want somebody in there uh, to keep your class together and to be there before early signing period. And with the transfer portal, the sooner you can get a new coach in there, the less likely you are to lose half your roster to the portal. So um, Texas A&M had to make a decision sooner rather than later. They're going to be one of the bigger jobs, if not the biggest job open this year. I think they wanted to be the first one uh, to be able to pick their their coaches and vet all these guys. I agree with you on that. Uh, and you could argue when the Longhorns you know, moved on from Tom Herman, they waited till after the bowl game 
and Sark came in in January is kind of the right thing to do, as they would say. But in this day and age, you could argue that was, you know, waited too long uh, because we've seen Clay Helton at USC fired back in, gosh, September uh, ahead of the Lincoln Riley hire. Uh, you know, it's just one of those, it gets earlier and earlier. And the fact that the first major coach, obviously in Michigan State, we know what happened there with Mel Tucker, uh, but that was a different circumstance. This was poor performance. And it happened over the weekend. Uh, all right, so we're going to launch this thing. We'll get into our first, second, third, and fourth quarters and our halftime. It's our Eyes on Texas multicast. Before we start everything and talk about the TCU game, let's uh, thank our presenting partners at Grande Equipment. Tell you a little, a little bit more about Wes Murray and Weston, his son, and the whole team at Grande Equipment. Grande Equipment, our friend and partner, Wes Murray, his team, they understand your reputation is all you have when it comes to a project of any kind, large or small. All that matters is getting it done, getting it done on time. That's why Grande partners with you on every project you have. You know, just earning your business is the beginning of the relationship at Grande. They're going to get you to the finish line, get that project on budget and done. They've operated that way for 31 years. They're not in the equipment business. They're in the relationship business. You need the right piece of equipment for that project, large or small. From anything from major construction of a building to freeways down to uh, to something at the deer lease or land, and you need a heavy piece of equipment, they're going to get it to you. Be there ready and job site ready without hassles or uncertainty, and uh, they are the best. I promise you, they're a small, independent company based right here in Central Texas, but they play in the big leagues in a big way. It's Grande Equipment, your international, independent dealer. Find them at grandeequipment.com. They present the Eyes on Texas multicast. All right, there's our uh, our presenting partners. Can't thank them enough. They make all this happen so you can uh, enjoy deep coverage of the Longhorn football program with the Eyes on Texas multicast uh, on Tuesdays and on Fridays, a recap of the weekend and a look forward to the big game coming up on Saturday. This week it'll be Iowa State. Uh, Mike, you were in Fort Worth uh, before we hear from Sark on an overview of this game and thoughts. Uh, what were your thoughts on the game as far as the – the macro, the visual, uh, the scene, the crowd, what Texas walked into, and uh, the final, and as you told us on our uh, broadcast on Friday, the 94th meeting between Texas and TCU and maybe the last one. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a packed crowd, a, a decent amount of burnt orange there. You know, it was interesting because at, at 26 to 6, a lot of the TCU students went and had their Saturday night. You know, it was a, it was a later game. Um, and so when they started making that comeback, it was probably three fourths full to what it was, but when it was, you know, halftime. And so that made for kind of this weird scene of people kind of coming back into the stadium uh, from the parking lot and, and beyond. And so uh, a rowdy crowd, a fun crowd down the stretch for sure. The first three quarters felt really sloggy and slow and a lot of starts with replay replays and some injuries and, and reviews and stuff. Uh, but then once TCU got going, it was kind of a here we go again. Can Texas make the right stop? And, it, and I think it's like what we talked about last week. There's two ways to look at it. Either Texas is taking a step forward because they're winning these games that maybe they otherwise would have lost when the team was coming back in the second half, or Texas is kind of the same old Texas because they're allowing these teams uh, to get back into it. I have thoughts on that. And uh, let's start though with Sark. This was from his uh, Monday press conference. He watched the tape and, uh, I will say, if you, as we hear our cuts through the the multicast here, uh, the EOT on this this Monday into Tuesday, Sark was particularly pointed about a couple of things. I think it was the lack of intensity in the fourth quarter for the like really felt like his team let down when they got up twenty six to six, and then had that goal line stand uh, that, that kept TCU out of the end zone. And uh, with the, with his team's inability to run out the clock on the ground, he really was prides himself on being a physical run team, run 
when the opponent knows we want to run. That didn't happen when they were trying to grind this thing out and uh, clean the clock. Here is Sark uh, from his Monday news conference, kind of an overview of the good and the bad and the ugly from the 29-26 win. The other night, I was uh, really impressed with our team uh, in the way that we played for about three quarters. Um, the, the, I thought the energy, the mental intensity, the way we took the field, um, not being affected by the crowd, um, and, and playing our brand, our style of football really, really showed through. And, um, you know, obviously there's some, there's some highlight plays in there. I mean, the most notable one to me, you know, watching, watching the replay of the game again is, um, you know, the interception we throw, obviously not, not a great read and pass and all that, uh, but the effort that our guys played with. And, you know, so many times we talk about effort, um, we think about, you know, maybe a guy who get, has minimal reps or a guy who just is on special teams. But when you watch that play and you think it's Jordan Whittington who misses a tackle, gets back up, comes all the way back 40 yards later and makes a tackle and punches it out. And Xavier Worthy, who was the intended receiver, who a guy's laying on top of him at, at the opposite 20-yard line to sprint himself back to dive and, and recover that fumble, I think is just indicative of the character of this team, uh, the culture of this team. Uh, when those two guys are playing that way, uh, I think that that sends a pretty easy message to everybody else of what's the standard in the way that we play the game. And so I was really encouraged uh, by that. Uh, naturally, uh, the fourth quarter we didn't play very good football, um, and, and that starts with with our with our ability to continue to motivate the players to have the right mental intensity. Uh, we had really poor tackling uh, on defense and and didn't leverage the ball very well when they were going to throw it. Naturally, I mean they throw an eight yard curl route and it goes for 42 yards. That should never happen. Th those are things that didn't happen in the first half of the game. Um, obviously, offensively. You know, one of the goals going into that game was to try to stay out of third and long, uh, an area where we were in a ton of third and longs the previous week. The goal was to stay out of third and long um, and to go two for eight on third and one to three in the game is unacceptable. Uh, and so that, that those two things, we couldn't sustain drives offensively. Um, we were giving up chunk plays defensively. They were scoring quickly. Uh, and then we didn't operate very good on special teams. We didn't punt the ball like we've been punting all year. Um, we didn't cover uh, on our punt unit like, like we've accustomed to, to, to covering. We get an uncharacteristic, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty uh, on the play that finishes out of bounds. So we did things out of character. And so um, we, we have to do a better job of, of keeping our mental intensity, our focus, and continuing to play the brand and style of football that got us that lead. Um, and so for a team that has been so good in the fourth quarter all year, for us to get outscored 20-3 to three in the fourth quarter, A, I would say is out of character, and B, I would say is unacceptable. All right, Mike, pretty pointed, as I mentioned. Uh, that's the first time we've heard Sark really question his team's mentality in a football game. Like, um, it really felt like they let down. Uh, and I think watching the game, it took advantage of huge TCU mistakes in the first half, penalties, the Josh Hoover interception right before the half, and it allowed them to create the separation. But my read of the game, and I want yours, Mike, here in our first quarter, brought to you by the Texas Mortgage Guy, Carlos Carrion, our buddy Carlos. I'm bringing you the first quarter here tonight. We'll find him at thetexasmortgage.com. But TCU as was sloppy as advertised to start the game, right? It was the, the turnovers, 
Uh, Sark cited the great Jordan Whittington play that was a turning point in the first half where, you know, the ball's intercepted, but Jordan hustles and missed the tackle to start with, but 40 yards later makes a strip sack and Xavier Worthy recovers it, which negated the turnover. Uh, Texas just took advantage of TCU mistakes. In the second half, TCU played a lot better, I'll be honest with you. But I think you could hear Sark there that, yeah, we helped them play better because our mental intensity came down and, you know, an eight-yard curl route turned into a 50-yard play. Uh, Sark was pretty ticked off about, uh, like the fans were, which I think is, is good for the fans to hear, that he wasn't happy with uh, with what was going on in that second half either. Well, I think, one, he's sending a message. You know, press conferences aren't interrogations. They're not truth-telling events all of the time. They're marketing. They're PR, right? One of the public relations is your own team. And so I think Sark um, a lot of times doesn't get up there and he's not trying to blame the the team. I bet he's being a little bit more honest and harsh behind the scenes. I think this week he wants his team to hear it. He wants the team uh, to hear it publicly and for people to be talking about it. And so uh, they can kind of light a fire under them. They're going to need to play a four-quarter football game. Sark talked about it after, after the game in the press conference. There will be a time in the next three games where Texas is going to need four quarters of football to win that game. It may be Saturday at Ames. It most likely will be Saturday in Ames. And so uh, I think it's an urgency thing. I think he knows how close this team is from accomplishing the goals. And he knows how far they are from all the talk about the second half collapses and the fourth quarter problems from last year. I mean, he beat that over the head all off season, but then the season starts getting going and you, you know, you start talking about other stuff. You're figuring other things out. I think it's a reminder to his team through the media and through the fans and through everything on social media um, that they're going to have to, to figure that part out if they want to win the Big 12 and by extension play in the college football playoff. Agreed. I mean, I think at this point, the college football playoff is, that's that's the afterthought. It could be there. Uh, maybe it all works out for you. But at this point, control what you can control, which is winning your next two games, playing in Arlington and winning that game. Uh, because this team, the more the season goes on, Mike, reminds you of last year's TCU team that finds ways to win games. They're not, because here's what I think is, is you know important for our Eyes on Texas multicast viewers. This is not the 05 Texas Longhorns that just destroy people, right? I think the Alabama win gave a lot of Longhorn fans a false, a warped sense of what this team could be because that was a game that was so important to the program and months and months and months of preparation for that game and caught Alabama at the in a good spot, right? Fair to say. But winning that game as good as they did by double digits and no one's won in Tuscaloosa in 50-some games outside of Texas, it changed the what, what we can be. Uh, and maybe even for the players a little bit, uh, but certainly for the perspective of fans. But this is not 05 Texas. This is not the team that's beating everybody 50 to 10. Uh, but they are more like the TCU team of a year ago or the 09 Texas team, Mike, that's got to find a way to win football games. And that's fun, too. If you're a fan and you're watching this multicast, it, enjoy the ride. I mean, it's a fun they're, – they're, they're clutch. They have a clutch gene to them whether it's a defensive stand or a big third down to, to Adonai Mitchell, uh, where your, 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 your heart's palpitating, your hair's turning gray. Uh, can they get this third down because you're going to lose this game? And they keep making the play, Mike. That's important. But I do think what I heard from Sark right there is he's tired of three-quarter three football. Like, I think he's almost expected that they're going to turn the gear and be, we're going to, guys, we're going to keep our foot on the gas. But, you know, I know and we'll hear Sark coming up about the game plan and the strategy in the third and fourth quarter. But I feel like he uh, is waiting for this team to break through and play four quarters of football 
It just hasn't happened yet. It didn't happen in this game. And they blew a lead in that Alabama game. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of been a thing all year. I mean, even in their wins, like in Wyoming, think about the first three quarters of that football game, you know, I mean, other than, you know, Baylor, you know, they've blown out a couple teams, um, but a lot of them have been close. And, you know, this is BYU, Baylor and BYU were blowouts. Yeah. And the rest of them have been pretty close or at least involved very big lulls by the offense. Like, I think one of the things we know about this team 10 games in is there's going to be a quarter or two where the offense doesn't move the ball. They only had one possession in the second half that was over six plays. And so, um, they weren't moving the ball that great when they had a 10 play drive it ended in a field goal. They've been bad in short yardage situations, whether it's at the goal line or on third and one or fourth and one all year. Like that's just a part of this football team. They can't beat you in every single way to your point that the 2005 team could, or maybe Georgia has in the past or how we see Alabama and Ohio state, their routes to victory are less, uh, but that doesn't mean that they're not one of the top teams in, in the country uh, and finding ways to win. I think another thing to remember is this is new for all of these guys, like there's not many guys on this roster that have won a championship before their head coach has never won 10 games. He's one away one game away from having his best season ever as a head coach. He's never won a conference championship. He's never been to a conference title game. And so when you look at this roster with all the talent that it has, you look at the coaching staff with all the experience it has, um, they haven't won or Sark hasn't won as a head coach. And a lot of those players haven't been in these high state games. I think this was another kind of reminder of, as this thing gets colder and colder, as the season goes on, the margins get smaller and the games get harder, even if you're better than the opponents. I agree with you, Mike, hundred percent about the message sent because you keep playing on that razor's edge. You keep flipping the coin, you know, uh, eventually the coin's going to come up tails and it's not going to be on your side. Let's hear Sark to exactly what you said about the inability to sustain drives. I know fans that are watching, reviewing this game with us. We'll talk about being conservative Here's Sark talking about their short yardage run game uh, and how actually the fourth quarter strategy, you no, know, let's go to fourth quarter strategy. Um, you know, this, this was kind of their plan. And then we'll get into the short yardage run game issues. They had sustaining drive. Let's start with the fourth quarter game plan and strategy in this game for fans that wondered what the heck was Sark doing in the third into the fourth quarter. We go into every game doing what we think we need to do to win the game. And then in-game, we make adjustments predicated on what we think we need to do to win the game. You know, the other night in the fourth quarter, when they were scoring so fast, and I felt like the momentum had really slipped out of our hands, I got the ball and basically said, we're going to run it every down. And if we get a field goal, we get a field goal. If we score, we score. But we're going to slow this game down. We're going to get momentum back on our side. And I knew how big that field goal was for us in that moment to make that thing, the, the, you know, the, the two-score game that it, that it became. Um, and so you, know, you, you go in with a plan. And I, we're more than comfortable if the plan needs to be that we need to throw it around. Uh, we're more than capable. Our offensive line's more than capable. Quinn's more than capable. Um, obviously, receiving core, tight ends, things of that nature. Um, but every, every game is different, right, of, of how people are going to try to defend us and, and what we need to do. And then making those adjustments in-game to, to ensure that uh, – that we're putting our team in the best position to win. And and that doesn't sometimes that's not always the sexiest thing to do to try to win the game. Uh, but ultimately when the dust settles and stats and everything, man, there's one stat that matters the most. Is it a W or an L? And we're just keep trying to stack W's. 
All right, Mike, I want your thoughts on that because I can see that perked you up. And I want to play one more quick cut on the short yardage run game because here's Sark where he was particularly angry uh, with his team's inability to get third and short uh, and the ability to run the football against the TCU front, even though they know they wanted to run. And then we'll talk about that strategy of slowing the game down, um, trying to impose the will and get this game under control because the defense was struggling. Here's Sark on the short yardage run game. Um, you know, we, we pride ourselves around here on being able to run the football when the opponents know we're going to run the football. And um, we just haven't been great at it, uh, but we'll continue to work on it. Like I said earlier, you know, championship teams get better as the season goes on, and there's always room for improvement. And everybody's got room to improve on our team, uh, and that's clearly an area where we've got we've to drill down on and, and improve upon. All right, so there you go, Mike. I mean, so combine those two. And with the fact that later in his Monday press conference, he said that Quinn was fine. Quinn was healthy. Uh, they could have. And this is where Longhorn fans get frustrated. You know, Quinn put up over 250 passing yards in the first half, almost trying to prove a point to slow the game down. He took the air out of the ball and his team didn't do what he wanted. They didn't accomplish the mission, which kept giving the ball back to TCU. Uh, were you on the stubbornness and we're trying to prove a point? Or, you know, use Adani, Adonai Mitchell and Xavier Worthy and JT Sanders and keep getting first downs while you're working on the uh, short yardage running game. Maybe this is controversial, but I, I kind of proud of Sark, right? Like that, to me, that shows maturity. We're not very far removed from him throwing it 25 times in a windstorm in the second half of Oklahoma State and blowing that lead because of it. Like he, those are, those are lessons learned, right? Like he has the bigger team. His defense is playing really well. I think he did what Saban would have done, and that's his guy, right? I mean, that that's how Saban would have approached that second half, I'd imagine. The problem for Sark is that power running game isn't what he wants it to be, and they're not great guard-to-guard -guard running, right? Like, Jake Majors is a really good center. He's not the biggest guy, and he struggles in those moments where he's head up with a nose tackle, and he's got to get a, get, a, a, get a yard. I have some stats for you in, in terms of the run game that I think point to why Texas struggles in short yardage situation. They ran the ball 40 times against TCU. Only 11 of those were guard to guard. 29 of those were tackle or outside. On those 29 carries on the outside, they got 128 yards. So almost 10 yards a carry when they went tackle or, or outside more uh, on the 29 carries. On the 11 carries from guard to guard, they got 37 yards. So that's about 3.2 yards a carry. So they're just not moving people up front and when you're in second and 10 and you run the ball you can go outside you can do all you want you can get cool and you can get those big chunk plays with Jonathan Brooks when you get to third and one or you get to first and goal on the on the two yard line you have to be able to move people and you have to go guard to guard in the power running game and they're just not able to do that and Sark is having to get creative and call all these different plays I think he's just stuck between what he wants to do and what this team can do I'd imagine against Iowa State, we see this as more of a Quinn Ewers throws the ball 40 times unless the weather's crazy. Yeah, and we'll hear Sark talking about that, you know, his respect for the three high, you know, flyover defense that they're going to face because, you know, th this was a game that, uh, you know, again, I, here's what I'll say. I agree with you 100%, Mike, that he, I, I was proud of him for him saying it, but at some point life is a struggle between what you are and what you want to be. Yep. Um, we all deal with that. You know, I, I would like to be this, but I'm really this. And how do I get to that? Because you're right. I mean, I think Sark knows that. And, and going into the game, you knew that TCU struggled with outside zone. 
Uh, I wonder, you know, the Jonathan Brooks injury, you know, came in the fourth quarter, but keep running it outside then. I mean, whatever you have to do, but it's almost like Stark, Stark was stubborn to be Saban and say, we can do this, and they couldn't, and it almost cost them the game. And that's the razor's edge they're playing on of, yeah, you're, you're playing around with this machismo thing. And again, I think it's right. I think it's where the program needs to go as they're moving to the SEC and they might need it this week in, in Ames, but you still got to win the game. And there were times where they could have thrown the ball, I think, with favorable coverage, uh, taking some advantage if Quinn was healthy. Uh, let's let's hear this real quick. No, let's do cut five here, uh, 1955 on the up the, the uh, episode today with, with him about Quinn's health. Because for anyone listening to this saying, well, Quinn, and I thought this because we saw Quinn leave early. You saw the TV broadcast. Quinn left to go to halftime before the rest of the team. And you wondered if there was something up that maybe he re-aggravated the injury. Uh, but here was Sark today saying that, uh, no, Quinn was good. Uh, Quinn was good. Because, look, injuries, you know, tighten up. You know, things happen during the course of a game. But here was was Sark on Monday saying that it wasn't about Quinn's health. For us with Quinn, you know, I, I think naturally – he was a little sore, but he threw today and, and, and operated and, and did fine. I, I think naturally as the weeks go on, if we can continue to protect like we did the other night, he's only going to continue to get better and get more healthy. All right, so there it is. So he was clear today, Mike, that there wasn't anything wrong with him. Maybe in the game it was. And maybe in real time he wasn't as sharp as Sark wanted him to be. Maybe he said something to Sark about, hey, man, this thing is you know, a little bit uh, – I've made a lot of throws here and it's starting to tighten up because that's the most work he's probably gotten on that right shoulder, or for sure it was in weeks, right, since the Houston game. Uh, and so, you know, that was that. Uh, but let's also get into this, the pass defense, because Sark was obviously particularly mad about the run game and the inability to get yards between the guard-to-guard tackles. Hayden Connor, uh, you know, you know, your center is Jake Majors and your right tackle or your right guard. You've got to be better in there. Uh, but at that point, it wasn't working. So he says he's trying to slow the game down. The other thing Sark was particularly angry about or upset with is the pass defense. And it's been a problem since the Houston game. It was a problem in the K-State game once the Wildcats abandoned the, the run and just started throwing uh, with Will Howard. Here was Sark with the uh, pass defense issues that continue to be a problem for this football team. You know, I think in the first half the other night, we gave up 98 yards passing, okay? In the second half, we give up 200 and something yards passing, you know, and, and, and why is that is, you know, we, we were looking at, did we call it as aggressively, you know, and I, I think there's something to be said about that, that maybe we can stay a little bit more aggressive uh, to, um, you know, are the players feeling to like, well, they're behind. Let's make sure I don't give up a big play. And they're looking at the scoreboard. They're watching the clock. We, we, we've got to maintain the mental intensity and focus of we're trying to be a dominant defense. It's not about what's on the scoreboard. It's about playing that play in the most dominant manner. And I don't think there's, there's a better example of a play, like I said, than the eight-yard curl route they throw. And we've got you know, three of our pretty good defenders that are you know, all trying to leverage the ball we don't leverage the ball, and we don't. I don't know if we get him in flag football, and he runs down the middle of the field and jumps over the next guy, and, and we look like a shell of ourselves defensively of, of who we really are. And so, one a there's there's calling it aggressively, two there's playing it aggressively and playing fast and physical defense the way that w that the standard is, and the standard is the standard, and it's not what the scoreboard says or how much time's left on the clock. And so, you know, I, I think in the end. If, when you start to play not to not to make a mistake, not to give up plays, 
naturally you're going to start to give up plays and, and you're going to start to drift in coverage and let people get open. And so we need to stay aggressive in our play calls. We need to stay aggressive in our style of play. Um, and we need, to, we need to play a physical brand of football. And I think that that's something that has starting and slowly have become a trademark of ours that we try to punish you, we try to punish quarterbacks, we try to punish runners, we try to punish receivers when they catch the ball. And we did not do that in the fourth quarter. And it looked like seven on seven out there. And too many times, even when we got a pass rush and we, we were affecting the quarterback, it was too easy of a, of a throw and catch. And now we're trying to rally and play in space. We need to make, we need to make tight, tight quarters on people. We need to make contested catches and challenge catches and get tips and you know, overthrows and get interceptions. And, and we just didn't do that in that, that second half. So we've got to get back to that. All right, Mike, thoughts? Uh, you were there. Uh, it felt like they kind of let off the gas in a lot of phases. Sark has made the point he was trying to be stubborn with the run game. Um, you know, it almost cost him. It almost cost him in Fort Worth on Saturday. Yeah, I think it's the same stuff we've been talking about from for most of the season. Texas is pretty good at the cornerback position. Ryan Watts, pretty good. Terrence Brooks, pretty good. They graded out well. PFF didn't give up a, a ton of receptions. It's the safety position. Michael Taft played well and, and graded out well as well. Uh, Johnny Barron had a bad game. Like the, the nickelback position didn't have a great game. His coverage grade was 44.7 on 35 snaps. Uh, Jaron Thompson was a 54.6 on 44 snaps. So they're just not getting the, the coverage they need uh, from the safeties. And the longer in a game you give the offensive coordinator to figure out how to get those guys matched up, because just like Sark is game planning ways to get guys open uh, in the first half, like the defensive staff is also disguising ways to, to hide that stuff in the first half. And eventually it's harder and harder to hide that stuff. That's why, you know, offense becomes a little bit harder to do after the script is over. Uh, defensive wise, like they can figure you out. And it felt like TCU kind of figured out what Texas was doing. When Texas had a big lead, they got a little bit simpler in coverage because you don't want to give up the big play. You want to make them go seven, eight, nine, ten 10 plays down the field. You want to shorten the game, all that stuff Sark was talking about. And that gave Josh Hoover easier reads. He's a young guy that gets confused and doesn't like a lot of pressure. I'd imagine if we had the numbers in terms of pressure rate, uh, the second half went down a lot. As soon as he had another half second, a second to go, you know, now all of a sudden the game becomes more like practice and the young guys can make those throws. Well, I think a good conversation, healthy conversation for the team sitting nine and one and six and one in the big 12. But I think the fans listening would say, it's all gas, Sark. Keep the gas, keep the foot on the gas. Just keep going. Uh, I know you have a game plan, but man, keep the foot on the gas. PK, Sark, let's go. Uh, I think is your mindset. Nolan, do you have any thoughts on the game? You haven't uh, weighed in yet. We'll get to you with the halftime about the uh, the Longhorns in the NFL. But uh, what do you think of the ball game? Uh, I'm, I think y'all are pretty spot on with that. Um, to Sark's point about how he thinks some sometimes the guys get in the uh, mentality of looking at the scoreboard and saying I I can't I can't give up this play or I I can't blow this coverage. What what kind of like pinged in my head is when I played baseball and played sports. Coaches would always tell you don't don't go go don't go up to the batter's box thinking don't strike out don't strike out because the last thing in your head is strike out. So I think if if you're gonna you gotta have that mentality throughout the game of dominate 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 and not don't mess up don't miss this play don't miss this tackle because what's the last thing coming out is miss and mess up. So I think the mentality just has to continue for four quarters like we've been saying all night. All gas, no brakes. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And I do think after it was 26 to six and they got that 
fourth and two stop in the goal line. And they had to, you know, took the ball and moved it down the field and punted and flipped the field. I think they kind of let down at that point uh, across the board. I really do. Uh, and you heard Sark talking about it. All right, that's the first quarter. That's the recap of Texas TCU. As, as uh, Sark said, keep stacking wins and never apologize for a W, as, uh, as frustrating as it was at times. Another 20-point loss got away, but you won the ball game uh, and headed to Iowa State. That's brought to you by Carlos Carrion. He's, uh, he delivers every single time here in our first quarter. The Texas Mortgage Guy. Let's hear more, more about Carlos. If you have a home buy or a refi coming, talk to our buddy Carlos. Carlos Carrion, he is the Texas Mortgage Guy. Why not do a new refi for your home or a new mortgage for your home? Change your life. It's always better to work with an expert in the field who also is a diehard Longhorn fan like you. Lifelong Austinite knows this market like the back of his hand. Just makes sense to work with someone who you're going to trust. You just heard Sark talking about that. So much better to work with like-minded people. Know their business, know the lay of the land. He's been uh, going on 10 years in the uh, industry now. Uh, he's out there to just help you provide a quote when kind of navigate these complicated waters of refinances and uh, mortgages. He's your guide to help solve problems, strategize, like you just heard Sark talking about, one of the most important financial decisions of your life. He's a great communicator, fast response times, not going to leave you out there waiting for days and days and days at a time. He'll be right back to you. He is Carlos Carrion. That's C A R R E O N. Carlos Carrion, the TexasMortgageGuy.com. That's the TexasMortgageGuy.com. Get after him uh, this fall. As it cools off, might be the time to start looking. Put your house on the market. Maybe look for that next house. Carlos is your man. All right, guys. Second quarter. Let's pick it up. It's going to be brought to you by our friends at uh, Hay City Store and Ice House. Uh, my buddy Travis Tyndall and his great team there, Hay City Store. And this is uh, the big story coming out outside of the W, right? The good side is you won the ball game. You're nine and one. You're six and one in the Big Twelve. But Jonathan Brooks, fourth quarter, about seven minutes to go, having a great game. Mike, you were there, having another great ball game. Uh, gets his leg twisted awkwardly. Down he goes, kind of that Gator roll tackle. A lot of Longhorn fans are frustrated by that. I just think that's football. Uh, but in the end, you know, kind of the heartbeat of your offense. When I say that, the most consistent player on your offense all year long has been Jonathan Brooks, and now he is not just lost for the rest of the regular season he's lost for anything that happens in December or January and uh, will be affected for next year too, because that's a, uh, that's a major knee injury that, that, that won't heal probably. And, you know, until next year, middle of the season. Yeah. First of all, I just feel horrible for him. I mean, former Mr. Texas football, obviously with the Dave Campbell's and the recruiting background of mine, you know, been following him for a long time. One of the better high school prospects I've ever seen and in terms of just like production. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous what he did at Hallettsville and he was like he waited, he did everything that you want a college player to do, right? As older folk, we tend to bash a lot of these young guys for for their work ethic and their ability to stick through things and wait wait their turn and all, all that jazz that we that we talk about. Jonathan Brooks did it exactly right. He waited behind two NFL draft picks. He waited his turn. He got passed over by a five-star freshman earlier in the year. He still didn't complain. And when he got his chance, he took the job and turned into a Doak Walker Award, you know, candidate and maybe the first running back to be selected in the next NFL draft the way he was going. Uh, now you got to think that that can't be true, right? He's going to have to come back uh, to school for another year, rehab, do that kind of stuff. And then, you know, enter the draft when he's a little bit healthier and can go through the draft process. And so, um, you know, one of those type of injuries that um, shows why you need NIL shows why these kids deserve to be making some money while they're playing football. Um, and also um, just kind of how, you know, tenuous this whole sport can be and how, you know, momentum and just your, your overall individual trajectory uh, can change with one play. 
Yeah, and he was having a great game. He was over 100 yards on 21 carries. He had had the long screen pass and then touchdown run in the first quarter. They got the Longhorns going. Uh, just, again, the most consistent player on that team and maybe the most surprising player because all, all you know through the summer when we were in the talking season, Mike, we wondered who was going to replace those two great running backs and, you know, who, who would have thought you'd find someone that was as good or productive as Jonathan. Let's hear Sark t- uh, on Monday talking about it, lamenting and saying kind of the same thing you just said, Mike, really well said, pretty pretty clear he was one of the most loved and liked players in that locker room, and now they're going to not have him the rest of the year, and who knows when they get him back. You know, naturally, losing Jonathan uh, for the season is a, is a tough blow for us. Um, you know, I've, I've said this about a couple other backs that were here before him, but you know, I think the one thing that, that probably stings most for us as a team is – the teammate that Jonathan Brooks is. Now, he's a better person than he is football player, and he is a heck of a football player. He's a great runner. Uh, he can pass protect. He can, he's a weapon out of the backfield catching the ball. Um, so naturally, uh, that creates a void, uh, but that also creates opportunity. And so he'll be missed. Um, he'll be with us, and we're going to support the heck out of him um, like, like we have in his entire time here, and he, I think he understands that. And I know those other backs are going to need his support, and that's what, where our culture has got to shine through. Uh, but obviously, it creates opportunities, obviously, for, for C.J. Baxter, uh, Jaden Blue, Keelan Robinson, Savion Red, um, and those guys are more than than capable of, of doing a great job. So systematically, uh, things will not will not change for us on that front, um, and we've got a lot of faith in those guys that they're going to perform at a high level. All right, there is Sark and Mike. Let's uh, he just pretty much reiterated what you said eloquently. Let's hear Sark on running backs moving forward because obviously C.J. Baxter. Uh, and you hear Sark here talk about maybe there's a glimmer of good good news, uh, and then who else needs to step up beyond it to to come close to replacing the production of number 24. One thing where we're fortunate, you know, timing is in, is is pretty incredible in that CJ's really 100% healthy again. And, you know, I'd feel really uncomfortable if this would have happened a month ago um, because Cedric was was really struggling with his foot. Uh, for, for him to be healthy, I'm very confident in that. I think we've naturally seen over the last couple of weeks, you know, we've been, you know, kind of injecting Jaden Blue a little bit more into the offense. So I think his comfort level of playing, and he's had some carries. He had the long touchdown run versus BYU, um, where I think his comfort level will be there. And obviously, he's playing a ton on special teams. I think obviously with Savion Red, you know, we've we've incorporated him into our short yardage offense and the Wildcat stuff. So he's carried the ball at some critical moments of some games, and we've asked a lot of him. So I don't think the moment will be too big for him. And naturally, the experience of Keelan of just the player that, that he's been over time. And so, um, you know, we feel comfortable that we have those four guys, that core of guys. Um, you know, it's obviously it's Monday and we're still working through the game plan of exactly how it all roll out, but we're comfortable with those guys going in the game and playing. All right, scheme won't change, but obviously production could change. C.J. Baxter, you know, kind of fills that role and, I have to think Jaden Blue becomes a pretty pivotal factor here the next uh, couple of weeks, Mike, and um, even into the Big 12 title game if they can get there. Yeah, I mean, C.J. Baxter is going to have to step up, stay healthy. Jaden Blue, all the guys that he mentioned. I just want – I wonder – I think the bigger question or what I'm wondering about is, like, where the run-pass-play uh, divide goes, right? Like, they're, 
they're about 380 run 320 pass right now through 10 games so about 32 passes a game about 38 runs a game over the next couple of games what do we think that number looks like I, I think it's flipped i think it gets to about 38 to 40 passes and 30 to 32 runs uh and they kind of use quinn ewers as a way uh to stop gat and and relieve some of the pressure of not having jonathan brooks I'll be like, maybe even just short pat. Maybe we see more wide receiver hitches, right? Maybe we see a lot more of the short passing game stuff on the outside to get Xavier worthy, the ball or, you know, whatever, maybe those old Greg Davis days uh, come back and we start seeing a lot of those little two yard hitches on the outside uh, to replicate the run game. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right about that. And that, that also is predicated on Quinn year's health and our third quarter coming up. We'll talk about the Iowa state defense and, you know, Sark said many times today that we're going to have limited possessions possessions will be key and you'll hear that over and over again this week leading into the Iowa State game because as Sark said you know the one thing the the the, the three high flyover defense and we'll talk about in the third quarter Mike that was started with Iowa State you're, you're a Sark give credit to John Heacock and what they do but this is a game where you you know you had 75 plays against TCU you might you might get 50 55 plays at Iowa State so you have to maximize them all uh you can't have bad series you really can't because you may not see the ball again they they really lean into the good defense and then controlling the ball the other way and shortening a football game. Uh, so I think that's critical and how Sark attacks it, but it's about execution. I mean, and that comes down to Quinn Ewer's right shoulder. Uh, you know, I will say for Longhorn fans, the Iowa state game weather could be a lot worse. I mean, it looks like it's going to be cold, like temperatures in the mid forties, but clear on Saturday night. At least that's the indication on this, this early in the week forecast because mid November in Ames, Iowa could be, miserable you never know what you're gonna get it looks like long ones are catching a break in that spot but i agree with you you're gonna have to rely on that and you know the reason i say Jaden blue is i to your point about the interior of the offensive line you're gonna to have to continue to run the plays that jonathan brooks was running you'll do those with cj baxter but i think Jaden blue can be a factor on the perimeter he can be an edge guy you were in fort worth mike um did was there any word about why where keelan robinson was was there anybody asked that question because keelan was not returning kicks he wasn't a gunner on punt return I don't know if there was an issue or or he was ill. I don't know. Did you ever hear anything about Keelan Robinson and where he was on Saturday? I did not. I I did not hear about that. I don't think it was asked um, after, after the post game for sure. All right. We'll try to dig into that. Cause that was, yeah, that was odd. Cause Keelan's been so big and they had Deandre Moore back there returning kicks. And you know, when things were, you know, snowballing and avalanching the wrong way for Texas, he returned a punt out of the end or a kickoff out of the end zone, got tackled at the 12 or 13 yard line and just, Where's Keelan? Where's Keelan was everybody was asking. And I think that's a fair question. They're going to need the, the senior. That's the one thing about Keelan Robinson. He is a veteran player, started Alabama, came here. He could become a factor uh, moving forward with his twitchiness and speed. All right, so that's our second quarter. Talking about uh, Jonathan Brooks and the running backs moving forward. Come back with to our third quarter, and that's all about uh, uh, the Big 12 and where it stands. The Longhorns sitting atop the conference, but there is plenty of company uh, one game back. We'll talk about it in the big picture for the Longhorns. Our second quarter brought to you by our great friends at Hayes City Store and Ice House, the destination location in Driftwood, Texas. Hayes City Store, here's more about them. It's delivered by the incredible Scratch Food and amazing times at Hayes City Store and Ice House in Driftwood, Texas. Hayes City Store ready to serve you and your family every day of the week. They are the total package when it comes to a destination location or just a night out. They offer seating inside in the original store and uh, bar and kitchen with the air conditioning or on the picnic tables, on the turf, under the gorgeous canopy of oak, uh, Hill Country Oak Trees, live right near the live music stage where they feature great music six nights a week. Also, you can go where I go all the time into the adjacent covered, incredibly comfortable ice house and sports bar uh, and you just enjoy the uh, famous now 
uh, scratch Texas comfort food, wood-fired pizzas, house-ground burgers, the best wings. If you love wings, you're going to love their wings. They're unbelievable. Uh, they smoke them first and then give them a little, little deep. They're just tremendous. Uh, they got the wood-fired pizzas I mentioned, house-ground burgers, chicken fried steak, truck stop enchiladas, plus a full bar, great margaritas, and over 53 beers on tap, and so much more. Great for a night out with the lady or a bigger group with a big birthday or anniversary or graduation. It's 8989 FM 150 in Driftwood. That's Hayes City Store and Ice House. The complete mouth-watering menu is online at HayesCityStoreTX.com. All right, can't thank Travis and Tamara enough, of course, in addition to Hay City Store, Taste on Main in Buda, two great restaurants, great people, huge, huge Longhorn fans and huge supporters of the Eyes on Texas and the multicast, and can't thank them enough for their sponsorship and partnership and friendship throughout the years on this. Uh, all right, let's dive into our halftime. We know, and we do four quarters, but we split it up with some halftime, get some uh, outside of this game and the Longhorn conversation including the NFL. It's brought to you by One Source Gas of Central Texas. That's my buddy Richard Strever and his team at OneSourceGasATX.com. Nolan, you always have the update uh, on the NFL Longhorns, and uh, there are plenty of them, over 30 to start the year. Who was uh, standing out to us and new to you uh, this week in the NFL? Um, Deontay Foreman started out on Monday night with the Chicago Bears in that major primetime game against the Carolina Panthers. Um, yeah, that lived up to a slow billing, didn't it? Oh yeah, it was a it was a barn burner. Uh, Twenty one carries for eighty yards, one touchdown, uh, two receptions for twelve yards. Roshan Johnson in the same backfield, becoming the uh, third down back there for the Bears. Five carries for eighteen yards and four receptions for fourteen yards. Uh, in the Baltimore game against Cleveland, uh, Devin Duvernay, the special teams guy, two punt returns for twelve yards, two kick returns for thirty yards and a fumble recovery on the defensive side of the special teams. Justin Tucker in that game was one for two on field goals, had one blocked, but was four for four on extra points. Malcolm Roach in the New Orleans and Minnesota game had five tackles, three solo, and a pass deflected. Uh, Jordan Hicks in that same game had seven tackles, three solo, and a tackle for loss. Uh, going down to Atlanta with B. John Robinson playing Arizona. Got 22 carries for 95 yards, and he got in the end zone this week. Uh, he had a reception for 11 yards. And one thing I thought was odd is Arthur Smith now had B. John Robinson returning punts. He had a punt return for eight <laughs> yards. Uh, this guy's then, the best, right? Yes. In the same game, we had Keontae Ingram uh, playing with, with the Cardinals. He's Lost his production now with uh, James Conner coming back, so he only had two carries for two yards. And uh, Quandre Diggs in the Washington game for the Seattle Seahawks had two tackles and that were in one solo. And Dicker the kicker had himself a game with the Chargers with 38 points score, so he ended up with – keep forgetting about the kickers every week, Dad. Uh, one for one on field goals and five for five on extra points, eight points in the game. Hey, man, don't forget the kickers. Like Tom Herman would never remember their name, but, you know, their kickers are important. They can win <laughs> and lose your football games. Burt Auburn. Yeah, we remember Burt Auburn. Uh, he's been huge for the Longhorns here of late. Uh, all right, there's your halftime uh, halftime update. Speaking of the NFL, we're going to talk in our fourth quarter, Mike, about the word on the street about Quinn Ewers and our conversation all summer. He's going to want to go to the NFL. Where does that stand? Longhorns with the Jonathan Brooks conversation. Of course, he was headed probably off to the National Football League. We'll get into that a little bit. Uh, in addition to the Jimbo Fisher and the coaching carousel conversation. Uh, but that is our halftime. It's brought to you by One Source Gas of Central Texas. Let's tell you a little bit more about Richard Strieber and his great team and why 
They are growing so fast for your compressed gas needs. One Source Gas of Austin is your Texas compressed, compressed gas leader. One Source Gas provides compressed gases such as CO2, nitrogen, oxygen, propane, and many more to various industries all through the great state now. Uh, they are your lead CO2 provider if you're in the service industry and bars and restaurants. We're talking about Hay City Store. They've got all the taps ready to go out there. Uh, restaurants all over Austin, Central Texas, and, and down into San Marcos and beyond. Uh, also the hospitality industry and the medical industry. Very important in the veterinary uh, field and in the medical field. If you need gases daily and weekly, they are your locally owned and operated uh, operation for over 12 years. They understand exceptional customer service is the key when your uh, success is about. That's what you can't do without it, right? So you got to have it. Just make sure it's there all the time. So if you're a bar, restaurant owner, dental office, veterinary clinic, just call One Source Gas or go to their website, onesourcegasatx.com. That's onesourcegasatx.com. They've got your compressed gas needs covered better than anyone. That's why they're growing, because they keep taking business from others who are not serving their customers like they will. Onesourcegasatx.com. Or call them, 214-8484. That's 214-8484. They'll get you all set up. All right, third quarter, brought to you by the Brain Vault Technology, the uh, the mouth guard that's more than a mouth guard, allowing you to play hard but play safe. Your orthotic that is... Uh, designed for collision sport athletes to allow you to uh, uh, minimize the risk of concussions. We'll say more about that coming up. But, guys, third quarter, uh, Texas and Iowa State. Mike, let's have a look at this Big 12. Longhorns at 6-1. and one. Um, You know, some form, coin flip wins here over the last month over Houston, K-State, and now TCU. But here they sit, as Sark said earlier, stacking wins. That's what you do. They're the only one-loss team in the conference. And then you have four, two-loss teams, Oak State, Oklahoma, Iowa State, who they play this weekend and Kansas State. Which one of those four two-loss teams is most surprising to you? Uh, probably Oklahoma State still. Um, just I, I with, with the mass exodus that they had and, and Gundy kind of not playing the NL, NIL ball, you know, I, I thought the other teams would be pretty good, uh, but I did not think Oklahoma State would be in the top half of the Big 12. And here they are, and they had an embarrassing loss. I mean, they got beat at Central Florida every way you can, 45-3. to that was never competitive. Ollie Gordon was held to 10 yards rushing, almost like they won the Bedlam game and, you know, had a week off, took a party a week. Oklahoma, meanwhile, had a terrible loss to Oak State, their rivals, and turned around and played a great game against West Virginia, which took West Virginia down to a three-loss team. Kansas State responded to the loss to Texas by uh, shellacking Baylor, which everybody shellacks Baylor these days. And then Iowa State. I mean, I would have picked – you picked Oklahoma State. I picked Iowa State. I'm surprised – based on the gambling scandal and all the, the Hunter Decker's suspension and all that's gone on with Matt Campbell, that here they sit at six and four overall, but five and two. And they can play huge spoiler here. They've got the Longhorns coming to town on Saturday night, uh, primetime game in Ames. And, you know, they almost beat Texas at Texas last year uh, here in Austin. And you got to feel like this is the, they're kind of like, you know, just like with TCU last week, Mike, their Super Bowl. Let's hear Sark talking about the challenge they face in this game against a you know five and two Oklahoma State team that's chomping to keep themselves in contention to get to Arlington. Uh, like we've been saying all along, as far as this week's ball game, this is another Big 12 championship game for us. Um, we've been, you know, we, we put ourselves in this position over a month ago, and we've we've uh, accepted the challenge, and I think our guys have responded to that. Um, we understand we're gonna we're gonna go into another hostile environment, you know, Saturday night, um, and it's gonna take it's gonna take all 70 players that we bring in, coaches, you know, to play as one. 
uh, and to uh, to go play a good football team who has gotten better as the year has gone on. Uh, obviously, a very well coached team. Um, you know, these guys do a great job of taking care of the ball on offense, creating turnovers on defense. I think they have 15 interceptions on the year, so the ball uh, is going to play a big factor in this game. We, we, it's got to we've got to find a way to get it off of them. We got to take care of it on our end, uh, and then we need to be efficient offensively um, with the number of possessions that could come out of this game. So uh, a lot of work to do uh, on a Monday, but uh, again, a lot of respect for Iowa State, and um, we know it's going to take uh, it's going to take a great effort from us to to try to come get a win. All right, and this is also part two, Mike, of the revenge tour for Texas. We talked called it the revenge trio, right? TCU had beaten them a year ago, uh, and it was an embarrassing performance for Texas. Iowa State, the revenge is the last trip to Ames was the Bo Davis game, right? The Bo Davis rant on the bus game uh, where Texas was, that became a national story. Uh, it was Sark's first year. Things were spiraling and Bo Davis went crazy on the bus and could argue helped turn to where they are now. Sark is, uh, you know, 19 and four or 16, 15 and four in his last 19 games, um, you know, over the last 19 contests. Uh, so, so things have turned. Uh, and then the Texas Tech game next week becomes another one you'd like to make amends for last year in Lubbock. So it's a big game with an Iowa State team that you're more talented than them, but they're really well coached and they're going to have you at home and in prime time. I don't under I don't understand Iowa State football. I, I never understand Iowa State football. I don't know how they are such an average team and then they're like in contention. Like I just you look at the stats. Like I'm an analytics guy. You look at the analytics. They're not. They're, they're good in the red zone. They're good in the red zone offensively. They're good in the red zone defensively. And, and modern football can be one inside the 20s, even if you're giving up a lot of yards. Uh, but they don't score a lot of points. Uh, they give up nearly 20 points a game. They have played better to Sark's point um, since the end of September. Uh, but they've only beaten one team that's above 500 this year. And that was Oklahoma State back in mid-September. Their last four wins since September 30th. These are their four wins. TCU, Cincinnati, Baylor, BYU. They've lost to Kansas and Oklahoma during that time. I just, I, I know playing in Ames is hard. I know Matt Campbell does some crazy things and he wins games every year. He's not supposed to, and maybe that's going to be this one, uh, but Texas is a far superior team and it, it's a broken record thing, but as long as they just play four quarters of football and don't turn the ball over, they should win this thing by 10 plus and in cover and, and be 10 and one. Yeah. Line's about eight to start it. Let's hear one more from Sark on that flyover defense. It is. I think. I think it's good for football fans. You know what is the three high flyover defense? A lot of teams play it now. But here's Sark from the coaching X's and O's mindset of you know giving credit to John Heacock, who was the trailblazer on this this defense where three safeties become kind of an, an amoeba defense. You're not sure what they're in. Here's Sark giving credit and what they'll deal with Saturday night. When Iowa State was really the um, pioneers of the three three stack defense. And you know, when they went to it, it was kind of an anomaly of what is this? And naturally, teams in the Big 12 gravitated towards that style of defense. And now in our conference, this is going to be our third straight week of facing that same structure of defense. Kansas State plays it, TCU plays it, and now Iowa State plays it. So it's become a little bit more of the norm. Um, I think at the end, they all have their own twist to it, right, and their style of which they do it. Uh, I think, I think what, what Iowa State does is they probably play it at its most purest form. Um, they really stick to it. They believe in it. Now, they do a nice job of 
disguising and tying together the, the, the intricacies within the scheme, the disguising of coverages, the pressures based on formations and personnel, but they know it so well and all of those players have grown up in it. Um, they've, had to, they've had to go through some of the growing pains when you put something new in. They did that years ago. Uh, so you have to be very detailed. Um, you, you have to be very deliberate in what you're trying to do. Um, our players need to understand it and then they need to understand that this isn't just what they do. They have a variety of things that come off of what they do. And so, um, like I said, they do a great job. I think they do a great job of playing complementary football. You know, they, uh, they believe in running the ball. They believe in a, in a, in a ball control style offense. And so because they make you earn it offensively and then they possess the ball on offense, they don't turn it over. They start to limit your possessions. And so you have to be really efficient offensively and, and every possession you have to, there's, there's real value in those possessions. It's different than when you're playing a TCU who still runs that defense, but their offense is going as fast as they can go. So you end up with 75 plays like we had the other night. Then you can live through some of that. There you go. There's Sark, and uh, that's the game plan for the week. Uh, can, you know, can't turn the football over. You have to maximize each possession. And as Mike said, uh, you're better than them. You're more talented at every position. They start a quarterback named Rocco Becht, uh, which you know is a young guy uh, stepping in for Hunter Deckers. Uh, they're just they can't match up with you athletically, but they've got to beat you with scheme and forcing you to make mistakes and use their home crowd. So we'll have our full preview of that game coming up on uh, our Thursday recorded Friday edition. Can I, say, can I say something yeah. about the 3-3 three, three stack? Yeah, hold on. Let me just – yeah, oh, coming sorry. up Friday, we'll have the full preview of uh, Iowa State. But, yeah, Mike, give me your thought on the 3-3 three, three stack. I went to Cedar Park High School, so this is near and dear to me. We've been running this for 20-something years now. This is what I think is awesome about scheme in modern football is it trickles up like a salmon sh swims upstream. Like when I was younger, NFL stuff trickled down. Uh, but since the air raid and all that kind of stuff, it all trickles up. And, and the 3-3 three, three stack was invented to be an air raid beater. And it became popular uh, in Texas high school football because so many people were either running the air raid or that Baylor spread that Art Bryles and Stephenville was running. That's why Joe Gillespie, who is the DC at TCU, was also the DC at Stephenville uh, when Art Bryles was the head coach there winning, winning state championships. So the 3-3 three, three stack goes back a very long – it's like the wishbone, right, when Texas gets credit for creating the wishbone – even though they were running that in high school for a long time, the three, three stack similar where Iowa state gets a lot of credit for it. Uh, but if you've gone to, to high school football games in the state uh, over the last 20, 25 years, you've seen a lot of it. Well said. I mean, I think you're right about that. And we've talked about it a lot. The, you know, we're losing rivalries with all the change in college football, but your Longhorn fans, I think will be happy to be in the sec, but, but the innovation of this conference, I mean, I think that's one of the things as a, as a you know, sports observer and sports radio, and you, you cover it, Mike, you know, when you're a Mike Gundy or you're a Matt Campbell or you're a Chris Kleiman or you're a Bill Snyder, you can't win with it's Jimmy's and Joe's. You can't win with the Jimmy's. You got to out scheme people. You got to be smarter. I mean, you got to come up with things that are going to because you can't just give up. You can't just line up and try to play like everybody else. It's the whole money ball concept. If you know the movie Moneyball, obviously from baseball, we can't be like them. We can't line up and be strong as they are and physical. Well, that's led to so much innovation in the Big 12 and in this, you know, this area of football that maybe when you're in the SEC, you don't they don't go there because they just have all the jimmies and not and they don't have to do that. This area does. And that's why, you know, how mummy and Mike Leach and you know the trailblazers of the of the, uh, you know, the spread offense 
And as you said, there, that started in the high school level with How Mummy, and right now there's bringing that up. Well, in the high school level, you got to find the, the resistance to that, which is where the 3-3 stack came from, and that all trickles up to the college level. And we're now seeing it in the NFL everywhere, Mike. I mean, the, the what's happened in the Big 12 and, and in, in Texas football has matriculated up now all the way to the NFL in both sides of the ball. I remember being a junior. This is what happened at Cedar Park. Uh, junior year, Cedar Park was a very new school. We didn't have a real district my first two years. We got put in a football district when I was a junior year. And we started playing Pflugerville and all of these other schools, Leander. And they had a guy named Al Pena, who was a quarterback, who went to Oklahoma State. And they went spread, and we were still running a 4-4. We had outside linebackers trying to cover slot receivers, and you couldn't do it anymore. Like, it it just was different. Like, that's not how the game was played anymore. A new D.C. came in, and Chip Killian, who's now – at Southwestern University, I was at Pflugerville Hendrickson for a long time, uh, came in and, and moved us more into that 3-3 stack because you had to figure out ways um, to stop the slot receivers, to stop the spread offenses, and that happened in college. As, as the air raid became less of this fad that was happening in West Texas and became a, an offense that you can see the principles in every single offense across college football, you had to figure out different ways to stop it we saw it at Alabama. Like, I think that was one of the fun things about A&M coming from the Big 12 to the SEC. They got there with smaller athletes who were faster playing the spread. Johnny Manziel came in there and they took the SEC by storm because they had no idea what the F that was. Like, they had never seen that on a weekly basis with those kind of athletes. And now Alabama plays spread, plays smaller on defense. Like, it changed a whole conference. Um, as the playoff expands, I wonder if that happens more and more because it's no longer this small invitational. Somebody's going to have to play Air Force one day. Somebody's going to have to play kind of a weird offense in a playoff game one day, and I wonder if that speeds up some of these um, kind of transitions uh, throughout college football. It's well said. And I always think about uh, even at the NFL level, Tom Brady was a good quarterback, and then all of a sudden he gets Wes Welker and these little slot receivers, and they borrow a lot of what Mike Leach was doing in the air raid, and all of a sudden Tom Brady goes from – here to here, right? All of a sudden, uh, a lot of those concepts became NFL concepts. And, and those are mostly early. tech. Those are mostly tech slot receivers. Like that's not an accident. Like there, no, there's not. a reason for that. There is no, it's not. No, it's not. You got Gronk as a tight end, and then you got this little guy, and then you got these other receivers you can't cover. And the slot was they, they borrowed a lot from that. It's amazing the way this this state and uh, this area has changed football big picture. And you start, you mentioned way back 50 years ago with the wishbone. All right. That's good stuff in our third quarter. Longhorns and Iowa state coming up Saturday. Longhorns being prime time. Once again, weather looking pretty good. That is our third quarter. It's brought to you by brain vault and the brain vault technology. We had a great high school football game last Friday night with Vandergrift and Lake Travis, Lake Travis won it on a field goal at the buzzer. Uh, heartbreaking for Vandergrift after a 10 and 0 season, but uh, importantly, all both sides have been fitted for and we're wearing their Brain Vault technology to play hard and play safe. Let's learn more about the Brain Vault technology. With Brain Vault in our fourth quarter, uh, Brain Vault has patented technology based on proven science that helps protect young athletes and reduce the risk of concussions. I know sometimes I say that and you're thinking, well, how does that work? How does that happen? Uh, I can read you this from Dr. Greg Eckert, who has been doing rigorous testing with the great people down at uh, – Texas State University that have been, been testing this this product of theirs, which is Brain Vault, which is an orthotic, and they just got on Friday some some proven based 
uh, research that six, this absolutely works. It is developed technology that, that is used in the NFL. As we told you, Drew Pittman, his partner of over 30 years, an agent in the NFL, has helped Dr. Record here you know, bring this technology to the NFL. And over 100 NFL players have been wearing the Brain Vault technology with no concussions over the last eight years, which is just incredible. And then um, Brain Vault now taking their technology used in the NFL and developed a retail version of their mouth guard. So now your young athlete can have the same level of protection that NFL players have experienced. And all you have to do is go to brainvault.com. You can go learn at the website all about that new research at Texas State. It's proven technology now that works. Uh, it aligns your, your jawline with your, with your neck muscles, and that's all about that moment of impact. Uh, where your jaw is going to clench, your mouth is going to, your teeth are going to clench, and you have to have the right alignment. That's what this is about. It's BrainVault.com. Learn more. It's the next level of protection. Get your young athlete fitted in any contact sport. Your entire team fitted. Uh, Vandergriff High School here in Austin, Lake Travis, uh, Regents schools all over Central Texas, down into Houston, up into Dallas, are getting all their entire rosters and teams fitted for the BrainVault technology, and you should too at BrainVault.com. That's BrainVault.com. Join the movement to get your fitting set up now. All right, Mike, fourth quarter. I'm going to tee you up here. Uh, let's go with this. This is all about the, the final four is typically what we do here. It's going to be brought to you by Dr. Greg Eckert, this beautiful smile and my restored smile. Love him so much. Love my teeth and love Dr. Eckert. Uh, but it's that time of year. The domino has fallen. Jimbo Fisher is out. We talked about to start the show. Uh, it had to happen. You know, get ahead of the recruiting curve and all of those things. They owe him $78 million. It, tell our audience about it. It's going to be, you know, 19, almost $20 million collected by boosters to pay that immediate 20%. Is that right? Because they owe him 20% in the next 60 days or 30 days. And then it'll be $7 million installments from here on out for Jimbo. Is that the way the, the financials work? Yeah, they owe him about 19.7, I believe, within the next 30 to 60 days, and then 7.2 through 2020, 2031. Basically, a and is going to be pay, paying two head coaches uh, from here through 2031. Yeah, and uh, we call that the Bobby Bonilla plan. We like yes. that. Uh, Nolan, <laughs> my son, if you ever can get to the mailbox money stage, that's what we're looking for. You yeah. know, just money shows up in your mailbox or in your inbox. We'll take that. Uh, but kind of had to be done, uh, safe to say. But so the, the 19 million or 20 million was essentially collected because I've heard a lot of people talk about it. They collected, you know, 80 million dollars from boosters. That's not true. They collected the 20 million from boosters. And then, as Ross Bjork said, Mike, they're going to take a seven million dollar loss in the athletic department. As you said, they're going to be paying two football coaches for the next eight years. Yeah, they're basically going to pay play one game at Kyle Field for free. Um, you, you know, like when you add up all the, you know, the ticket prices and the concessions and all that kind of stuff, they're basically going to have one fewer home game revenue. And that's it's a big deal. Jimbo game. It's called yeah. the Jimbo game. Right, right. Whatever that bye week, kind of what they're doing this week against Abilene Christian, whatever that one is, that's that's the Jimbo week. Uh, and I think one of the reasons we they fired and we talked about this a little bit earlier on. I don't think they wanted Jimbo to be able to make a run here. You know, if Jimbo wins out, right, wins eight games and beats LSU on the road to end the season, it's a little bit harder to fire him. I think some of it was they just wanted this this slate. I think it just speaks to the craziness of college football. Like, I'm numb to it. Like, the fact that I, on podcast, like, I do an AM podcast with Jay Arnold called the Aggie War Pod. And we, we were talking about that for weeks, and I'm using phrases as it's like, it's only a $10 million decision. Like, it's really not $76 million. You're not going to keep them through 2025, so you might as well cut bait here. Like, we've gotten to a point where we are numb to the fact that you're about to pay a coach over eight years $76 million to go ranch. Like, that's that's insane, like, that we've gotten to this point of college football. It's, it's a little irresponsible. 
we've all played a part in it. And it's just wild how, you know, you talk, I mean, my grandfather's an old school coach, right? Who was around in the sixties and seventies. You talk to those guys about the money they were making and what the sport was back then. And then you talk about a dude making $76 million to not coach at A&M. It's just, I mean, how did we get here? I mean, I know how we got here, but it's just amazing that we did. We did. And here we are. And, and you know, I, I, there was a headline in the, might've been a national headline, but I saw it in the forward star telegram that said, uh, it's gross. It's gross in college football. And it is, it is. I mean, it's become, um, you know, kind of a, kind of a sugar daddy conversation, right? Like who's going to pay off your coaches? Who's paying for your program? Cause there's NIL, uh, yeah, the, the revenues are good, but you're paying for the entire athletic department with your athletic revenue. You know, who's who's paying for NIL? Who's paying for, you know, sugar daddies, right? I mean, this is who kind of runs your program. And it's, you know, it's not the prettiest view, but it is what it is. Uh, and, it, you know, it's fair to say it is gross. But let's also say, how did we get here? Because it is also true that Kirby Smart and Nick Saban's buyout combined would not equal what Jimbo Fisher's is. That's pretty gross. That's this is three times. Minutes. This is three times the record. Gus Malzahn at twenty-one million was the record before this. This is over three times the record. Well, and you can tell me because uh, I mean I think I know the timeline. But Jimbo Fisher had a great year in the COVID year. They went nine and one. He had a pretty good first two years. They beat Bama in nineteen, and so there was. And, and Scott Woodward had been the athletic director at A and M. He moved to LSU, and there was some scuttlebutt that maybe LSU wanted to go get Jimbo Fisher. And so people who ask, well, how did we get here? That's how. That Jimbo had some pretty decent years, beat Alabama, went nine and one in the COVID year, and there was talk in the big, you know, behind the scenes of college football that LSU was trying to make a splash hire to replace Ed Orgeron. Uh, of course, they had won the national championship, but then had fallen. And you heard the name Jimbo Fisher because of the connection to Scott Woodward. And of course, they ended up hiring Brian Kelly. They made a run at Lincoln Riley. So those those reports are not false that maybe they flirted with Jimbo, but that's what led to Jimbo getting the guaranteed extension that we're talking about now. Correct. Yeah. I mean, he had gotten a 10 year, $75 million contract off the bat. So even without the extension, they would have been in a sticky spot, Would have, but it would have been like a $30 million sticky spot. It still would have broken a record, but it wouldn't have been as absurd. Uh, that pandemic year, you know, it sold a bill of goods, I think, good and bad. I think there was teams that were better than the program was fine, and they just had a bad 2020. I think there was teams that the program wasn't that great, but they had a good 2020. And AM falls in that category uh, where it all seemed to go right for them. Um, I agree that it was a thing that had to happen, uh, but this is on athletic directors and their inability to negotiate and to deal with private equity type funds, right? Like this could never happen in the business world. Like, everybody would get fired if this happened somewhere in like real life. Um, but they negotiated against like the dude's friend. Like they, Jimbo was never going to LSU. A&M should have just like let him go to LSU if he wanted to go to LSU. Um, and, but ADs are really bad at negotiating. They're not business people. And this is why there's like gross uh, domestic product numbers getting paid to head coaches across the country to never coach. <laughs> That's well said. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. So who's next? If you're an Aggie fan, you do that podcast there on the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Republic of Football Network. Uh, you know, your alma mater is UTSA. Jeff Trailer's name is out there. Dan Lanning is without question the best coach under 40 out there. I like the name Mike Norvell at Florida State. He cleaned up Jimbo's mess in Tallahassee. Might be a good name. He's from Irving, Texas originally. Uh, Deion Sanders' name will be mentioned. Do you have a short list of your front runners at Dave Campbell's Texas football? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it starts with Mike Elko. I think that's the most obvious name that a lot of people are circling just because of his ties with Texas A&M. He was the defensive coordinator there under Jimbo when it was really good. Um, he They were really good in 2021 before he left. It kind of went downhill uh, when Mike, El- Mike Elko left the building. I think a lot of Aggie fans feel like bringing him in would save the roster too. Like they wouldn't lose a lot of guys from those recruiting classes that he'd be able to keep continuity. So I think that's a name. Uh, to remember, Dan Lanning, to me, would be the biggest home run. Uh, Frank DeBoer at, at Washington, because of what he he's done, would be another name as well. I do wonder what the Jeff Trailer momentum is. I think the big football fans in the A&M fan base would want Jeff Trailer. I think some of the ones that kind of just watch it on the peripheral will, will feel like the UTSA head coach is a little beneath them. So I do wonder where he ends up on the pecking order. Uh, but to me, this is an Elko, a Lanning, a DeBoer, uh, uh, the forest at Norvell, as you mentioned, because USC went and took uh, the Oklahoma coach, Notre Dame or LSU went and took the Notre Dame coach. I do wonder like where A&M's cap is like, who is the biggest pro what is the biggest program out there that Texas A&M could go take somebody's coach. This is a top 10 job in the country to me, probably a top seven, eight job in the country to me. They have everything that you need to win at a national level. I know that's funny because they've never done it, Uh, But they have the resources, they have the recruiting talent base, they have the fan base, they have the state, they have everything that historically you need to win championships. What they need is a leader, a a, somebody that can go in there, be left alone and and to win. This is the most important hire for Texas A&M, maybe in the history of Texas A&M. I don't know. I'm not I'm not a historian for the Aggies in that way. This feels like a crucial moment for Aggie football um, where they can really go be something or. They're going to continue to be, quote-unquote, Texas's little brother. Uh, it's interesting. To, I think they're going to go big. I think they're going to swing big, even with that $7.2 million price tag. Uh, they have to add on to whatever they agree with here. Uh, I don't think money is going to be a thing that keeps A&M from hiring the guy that they want if it's a big price tag guy. Well, And, look, I, I'm of the opinion here in the eyes on Texas multicast, not because I cover Texas, but I think Texas got it right with Sark. I do. I know there were some naysayers when they did. Uh, you want a young emerging coach. You want a coach whose best years are to come, which, so if you get Dan Lanning, which I don't know if you can, but that would be a home run. Mike Norvell, young emerging coach whose best years are coming. And that's where it leads me back to Jeff trailer. I mean, uh, uh, I just think Jeff trailer, he's, I know Mike, that's, that stings because that's your alma mater, but he can flat coach. He can lead, he can galvanize. And he knows every high school coach in this state. Uh, and I know for tech, for A&M fans, it may not be the big enough name, but man, you just got to get this right. You got to get somebody that's going to speak the language. And he's East Texas through and through, Mike. I mean, he's Gilmer. And he sounds like an Aggie fan. He probably is an Aggie fan. I don't know. You might know that better. But man, that guy would would resonate throughout the great state. And with the NL, NIL money they have and the, the resources they have, I think Jeff Trailer. If, if you're a Longhorn fan, be afraid if the name is Jeff Trailer. That's what I would say. If uh, Jeff Trailer, if Jeff Trailer gets hired at Texas A and M, they're gonna win and win big. Like I, I have no, I have no doubts there. And if Jeff Trailer's done so much for UTSA football, I will help him pack a bag when he gets <laughs> a bigger job. Like he has done everything and more for the UTSA football t- football program. I wish him all the best when he takes a job after this year, because I'd imagine this is the last year he coaches at UTSA. It's just a matter a matter of where. He's going to be. Is it going to be AM? Does Baylor open it and end up there? Maybe Arkansas. Um, but I just wonder. I again I agree with you. I think I think Jeff Trailer would 
it would take 10 minutes of the opening press conference for him to convince everybody in the world that they made the right hire. Like he is, he's the East Texas Ted Lasso. He'd be perfect. I just don't think that they're going to do it. Like, I just don't think that they're going to do it. I think that they go with a Lanning or an Elko, somebody who is recruited at the power five level, because that's what it is nowadays. Like this, it's less and less about your head coach being uh, X's and O's guys, or even a CEO guy. It's becoming recruiting, build your roster, stack it up with talent, NIL, and go out there and try to win football games. I don't think that's right. I think you go get a program builder, you do it that way, and you, and you win in the long term. I just don't trust A&M to do it that way. Um, but the last time they really had a coach that they loved and revered and had a consistent success at Texas A&M, it was because he was a Texan, a local guy who understood the community in R.C. Slocum. Um it would be dumb of them not to follow that same path. I just, I think that they're going to do it. I just, I just think that they will go national. Longhorn fans, Longhorn fans on the eyes on Texas multicast will be happy for that. Cause I agree with you. Jeff trailer would scare the heck out if you're a Texas fan. Cause he is, he's got some RC Slocum to him. The all shucks, but don't doubt me. Uh, I'm going to win. Uh, speaks the language does a lot. Well, that would be the right hire. I really do believe that, but uh, we'll see. Uh, they'll go splash. They'll go, they'll go urban here in the name Deion Sanders. Real quick on the Longhorn coaching searches, I've heard rumors out of Boise, but maybe Boise State wants Jeff Choate, the Longhorn linebackers coach, who had been a head coach in Montana before, working with PK. We've heard the name Pete Kwiatkowski at USC for defensive coordinators. Keep an eye on that. Mike, I know there are a lot of uh, coaches around the state. You're, following, you're working you know, 15 hours a day trying to keep up with this. There could be a lot of coaches that you cover at Dave Campbell's Texas Football that are, uh, you know, there are vacancies coming at, at programs you cover. Yeah, so if you take away Casey Keeler, because Sam Houston's new at the FBS ranks, uh, there's not a coach that's been there longer than six years, right? Like, it's a relatively new cycle of coaches in the state. Uh, we haven't had more than two openings at the FBS level in the state in a long time. Uh, well, there was three in 2021. That's the most that we've had. Uh, I think that this one could get to seven. And not because seven guys will get fired, um, but A&M's already opened. Um, and I think UTEP could open. Maybe Rice could open. Uh, possibly Baylor if things keep spiraling downhill for Dave Aranda. And if that happens, there's other guys that may have to fill in those voids or would get hired to fill in those voids. I think Jeff Trailer, as we mentioned, is going to get a job somewhere, so that one's going to open. Rhett Lashley at SMU is starting to build some buzz. They're a couple wins away from winning 10 games. SMU's only done that once since the death penalty. He has SEC ties, so I'd imagine he's in on the Mississippi State job. He went to Arkansas. I'd imagine he's in uh, for that as well. Uh, and then also you got G.J. Kinney at Texas State. And some people will say, well, it's only been one year. He's going to stay there for more than one year. I advise you to go Google G.J. Kinney and his resume. He has been at he's been a one year stop guy for the last six stops of his career. He was one year at Incarnate Word as a head coach, took the Texas State job. If Jeff Trailer leaves UTSA, I would imagine Jeff Trailer advises UTSA to hire G.J. Kinney. And if UTSA calls G.J. Kinney, He's got to listen just because of where UTSA is athletic budget wise compared to Texas state. I think that one gets a little weird too. So it could be one of those times where uh, over half the coaches at the FBS level in Texas are new uh, this time next year. All right. That's going to wrap up our fourth quarter. Nolan, can we play one more piece of audio from Sark about uh, where the Longhorns are? Because this will wrap it up. Uh, you know, Sark was asked today about where they are. Uh, we talked about it in our third quarter and throughout the broadcast, but uh, sitting here uh, with, Sitting at six and one, the playoff is out there. The opportunities are out there. 
the one cut we haven't played yet. No, let's see if we can uh, find that because it kind of wraps things up, puts a bow on our broadcast here, our Monday recording of our Tuesday drop broadcast of the Eyes on Texas Multicast presented by Grande Equipment. Here's Sark on uh, what an awesome time it is to be a Longhorn fan and what an awesome time the next uh, two, three weeks should be. What an what an awesome time! You know, this is this is the fun part, right? Yeah, to be in to be in the middle of November and be in a championship race. Um, I think that our guys have have handled it well up until this point. Like I said, we've been walking into you know road stadiums and understanding the environments are hostile as as anything. And we, we still have this on our chest. It's still our last year in the Big 12. We understand all that, but now there's championship game implications, uh, and I think that our players have really responded to it. And we showed great poise, great composure. But it's this is exciting. You know, this is why we get to do what we do to to be chasing a chasing a championship. And um, I know that our that our players are looking forward to another opportunity Saturday night. There you go. That'll uh, wrap up our fourth quarter, and that's good, Mike. I mean, it's you'd be frustrated with the close wins and the teeth gnashing and the gray hairs and the blood pressure rising, but boy, find joy in it, Mike. Find joy in it because it hadn't happened since uh, that young guy right there on our digital producer was. Uh, you know, 14 years ago, that kid was like seven years old. And here we are. That's the last time that happened in 2019. Uh, pretty incredible. So enjoy the ride. We're taking it with you on the Eyes on Texas multicast. Mike's got you covered on all things coaching searches and AM and the dominoes that are falling, who's going where. But, Mike, you grew up in Longhorn football. It is fun to be back talking about what, what Sark just said. This is the best team of a generation. I mean, think about that. For a lot of people out there, uh, probably 25 and below, this is going to be the best team that they can remember because they probably didn't remember the first six or seven years of their life. That 2018 was was good, but it didn't feel like one that was going to play for a national championship, right, or, or even win a Big 12 title. And so uh, to me, this one feels like the one with the most promise and the time where the program is going in the right direction uh, for the first time. And like I said, people who are in college right now's lifetime. The last time uh, we were in this position, I was dressing up as Colt McCoy for Halloween. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I remember it. I remember that, my friend. All right. Well, that is our uh, digital producer, Nolan Hogan. Let's play uh, and tell you one more time about our, my man, Dr. Greg Eckert. He is my dentist. Please go see him. It's Eckert with a U, U-E-C-K-E-R-T. Uh, Griffin, we don't have to play the recorded because Dr. Eckert's the best. Uh, find him online. He's uh, 345-3166. Just the best. Uh, new teeth, one tooth, all your teeth. The best, uh, Dr. Greg Eckert. That's going to put a wrap on another edition of the Eyes on Texas Multicast. We are a product of the Republic of Football on Dave Campbell's Texas Football Podcast. We're powered by Grande Equipment, also our founding partners. Dr. Greg Eckert, uh, my dentist and hopefully yours, is brain vault technology in the mouthpiece uh, that is changing football and uh, contact sports. One source cast of Central Texas, Hayes City Store in Driftwood, and the Taste on Main in downtown Buda, and Carlos Carrion, the Texas mortgage guy. Is Mike... Uh, Craven just said, the team of a generation, and my son Nolan agreed, and that's what we're riding. It's been a fun ride. Let's keep it going. Iowa State, we'll have a full preview coming out coming out Friday, or we'll go a deep dive on the Cyclones and how they have managed to be 5-2 and two amid all the issues they've had there in Ames. That's going to be good. Michael, where are you headed to? What's your travel schedule this week while you're keeping up with the dominoes falling? UTSA plays on Friday against South Florida, so I will go back home to San Antonio uh, to the Alamo Dome to watch that game. And then Saturday, I am going to be the average college football fan and hang out on the couch 
and just watch football. Just watch football all day, the first Saturday of this football season where I am able to do that. And it is because uh, my future wife has to go back to Kerrville. Somebody has to watch the dogs. And so I am not allowed to go out because I have a problem. I have an addict and I'd probably be at Baylor TCU on Saturday if it wasn't. for <laughs> That's right. That's right. To watch that game. Hey, Mike, for all the uh, coverage you're giving, uh, I should mention you're, you're working feverishly to cover all these coaching stories. Uh, Dave Campbell's text as well. What's the easiest way to find all what you're writing and all, the whole crew there at uh, D T C S D C T F. We can, we, can, we can fix that in post. We can fix that in post. It's uh, texasfootball.com. Very easy to remember, texasfootball.com. And for $49.95 a year, you get all of our magazines, you get all of the digital work, and you get Texan Live, which I think right now is a great time to get that if you don't have it already. The playoffs are starting. We stream playoff games all across the state of Texas. You can watch high school games straight from your TV, from your computer, all that kind of stuff. We kind of have like a red zone channel. Uh, for high school football, if if you haven't checked out that it's Texas football uh, tonight, so we're rolling, man. We uh, this is this is the time of year where we do kind of our most work between the coaching search and Texas high school football playoffs. It's late in the evening. I can do a morning show, and here we are, like DCTF, and here we go. And what'd you say, fifty bucks a year? Is that right? Yeah, fifty bucks a year. You get all the magazines, all the streaming, all the digital stuff. It's a pretty good deal. That's a great deal. Uh, and make sure you get that. You get the college coverage of all the teams, including the coaching changes and the Longhorns. Get the high school coverage, which is just hitting its playoff run. Uh, 50 bucks a month. You can't beat that with a stick. DCTF. Dave Campbell, Texas football and the Eyes on Texas multicast. Also found on the YouTube channel at uh, Dave Campbell's Texas football, the Horns YouTube channel uh, in Austin, hornfm.com. And of course, on iTunes and Spotify. Y'all have a great week. Hook'em Horns, Longhorns are number seven in the country. <laughs>